0: So today, as I promised last week, we're going to answer the question, after we're resurrected and we're on the sea of glass, what do we do? And how long are we there? And what is it that we are going to learn? Now, let me just cover one verse here. Let's come to Luke 12. This sums up everything that we are to be doing, uh, James says, concerning endurance. Verse 31, Luke 12. But seek the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added to you. Everything that God has promised, that's what that statement means there. Now notice verse 32. Do not be afraid. Now we're coming to a time where there are a lot of things to be afraid of. A lot of things to be discouraged about. But don't let them take hold of you, as James said. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father delights. God is looking to the pleasure of Giving you the kingdom. Now, what does that mean? Those are wonderful and inspiring words. But what does that mean? We also know in Revelation 20 that we're going to be kings and priests. Now, how's that going to work? All right. Now, let's, since we're here in Luke, Let's come to another one. Luke 19. Parable of the talents. Luke 19 and verse 11. And as we go along, I want you to think about why God is insisting upon the character that he is developing in us and that we have this now developing in our lives. And that is the mind and character of Christ. Now, why is that important? Well, you look at everything in the world, all the leaders, all the business, and everything that is done. And what are we overwhelmed with today? Lies everything is false. Everything is fake. Everything is less let us pretend. All right, verse 11. Now as they were listening to these things, he went on to speak a parable because he was near Jerusalem and they thought the kingdom of God was about to appear immediately. How many times down through history have people thought that the return of Christ was just around the corner. And a lot of things look like it that it was. But it didn't happen, all right? Therefore, he said, a certain nobleman set out to a distant country to receive a kingdom for himself and to return. That's a parable of Jesus being resurrected in Going to sit at the right hand of God the Father in heaven above. And after calling his servants, and that's us, we're the servants, all of us, he gave them 10 pounds and said to them, Trade until I come back. Now that ties in with what James brought out with endurance. But as citizens, hated him, and sent an ambassador after him saying, we're not willing to have this man reign over us. And you can liken that to what? The world. And you can liken that to Christianity of this world. They don't want to obey God. They want God to obey them. All right. Verse 13, And it came to pass that when he returned after receiving the kingdom, he directed that those servants to whom he had given money be called to him in order that he might know what each had gained by trading. Now, what does all of that mean? That means we are to use our free moral agency. We are to move ahead and grow in grace and knowledge. We're to develop the things that we need to do. And for all of us who are elders, we need to be accountable for preaching the truth and and the doctrine and helping the brethren in every way. Okay? Now notice, verse 16, The first came up saying, Lord, your pound has produced ten pounds. So, we need to ask the question, what are we producing in our lives? Of the fruits of the Spirit, of the things we need to do. Okay? Notice the answer. Then he said to him, Well done, good servant, because you were faithful in a very little, you shall have authority over ten cities. Now, think about that for a minute. If you were given authority over ten cities... With your current knowledge and understanding, how would you do it? Well, we'll answer that question a little bit later. Then there's the one who was, who gained five, he's over five cities, and the one who didn't produce was removed. All right? Let's look at something else that is also very important in understanding this. Let's come back to the book of Daniel because all of these things are a takeoff from the book of Daniel. Daniel, the seventh chapter Now you see, many times we just get focused on that little dot right in front of us and we need to keep the big picture in mind And we need to look at the big promises that God has given. Because every word of God is true, and everything in the prophecies are true, and they are going to happen in a way that God wants them to happen in the time that he wants them to happen. But let's look at a summation of this in Daniel chapter 7. Now this is quite a thing. And remember Daniel when he was all done with all the prophecies that he was given he said, Lord when shall these things be? and he was told, Daniel you go your way this is not going to be done I'll paraphrase it until the time that I say it's going to be done as God would say okay But then he said, chapter 12, The wicked shall do wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand. But the righteous shall understand. Now, who are the righteous? The righteous are the ones who love God and obey him. Daniel chapter 7. All right? Let's read it. Verse 15. And this was a long prophecy coming right down to the end. Now, think about this with Daniel. He was a very old man at the time that he got this prophecy given to him, and it was close to the end of the 70-year captivity in Babylon. And there were a lot with uh, with the Jews, that if they got back to Jerusalem, then the kingdom of God would come. So, let's read it. And I, Daniel, was distressed in my spirit in the midst of my body, and the visions of my head alarmed me. And I came nearer to one of those who stood by, and asked him the truth concerning all of this. So it's going to happen, the truth. But you see, we need other scriptures to give us a time frame when those things will take place. And the final time frame is given in the book of Revelation. Nowhere else. So we'll see that in a little bit. So then he says these great beasts and so forth, verse, verse 17, shall arise out of the earth. Now, verse 18. But, now look at this. Here's another promise. See? A great one indeed. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom, just like Jesus said. It's the Father delight in giving you the kingdom. All right? So here's the prophecy of it here. The saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever and ever. Okay? Then I desire to know the truth concerning the fourth beast that was different from all the beast exceedingly dreadful and whose teeth were of iron, and his body of brass, and devoured in broken pieces, and stamped the, the rest with his feet, and then of the ten horns, and so forth. Let's come down here, verse 21. And I watched, and that same horn made war with the saints, and overcame them. Now, where do we find this described? Two places. Revelation 5. Revelation 12, but also down through history, this same Babylonian system has always been after the people of God. Everywhere. Okay? Now then, he said, he watched, verse 22, until the Ancient of Days came. Now, Ancient of days is what? God the Father. So he saw a vision. Okay? And the kingdom was given to the saints of the Most High, and the time came that the saints possessed the kingdom. Well, that's quite a thing, isn't it? We're going to possess the kingdom. Then it talks about the wars and things right at the end. Okay? Verse 25. And he shall speak words against the Most High. Second Thessalonians, the second chapter, about the man of sin, the son of perdition, who sits in the holy place and says he's God. And shall wear out the saints of the Most High. So, we have two fulfillments here. Down through time and history, and then right at the end time. okay, And think to change the set times and laws. Now, every Protestant needs to read that and to understand what they've done to the Word of God. They think everything just fine with, the, with Jesus and God. Because we say this little Franklin Graham Tinkle Winkle prayer and we're saved forever. No, that's not the way it goes. What laws did they change? The Sabbath to Sunday. The Passover to the sacrifice of the Mass, the Eucharist and the Lord's Supper. The Feast of God to Halloween, Christmas, Lent, and Easter. And hasn't the world followed them? Yes, indeed. And the religious arm of this beast, being the Roman Catholic Church, they brag that they changed the Sabbath from the Sabbath to Sunday, and all the world bows the knee to Rome. All right? But let's see what's going to happen. Verse 26. But the judgment shall sit. Now mark that word judgment. And judgment is something that we need to really learn to do. Righteous, Judgment, that's what Jesus said. Now, we've got a whole booklet entitled Judge Righteous Judgment, and we need that, because if you don't judge righteous judgment, then you're going to make a mistake, and then you're going to have a compounded problem that becomes more difficult to solve. That's exactly what has happened with this society. Judgment shall sit, and his dominion shall be taken away to be consumed and to be destroyed unto the end. Where do we find that? Revelation 18 and Revelation 19. Right? So you see how far out these prophecies go. Now notice verse 27. Here's the goal for us. Here's the goal for all the saints. Going clear back to Abel and all the way down through history to our time and up to the time of the resurrection. And the kingdom and dominion, verse 27, and the greatness of the kingdom under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High whose kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and all kingdoms shall serve and obey him. Now, think of all the other scriptures out of Isaiah, and Ezekiel, and Haggai, and Zechariah, that fit into that, and those in the book of Revelation as well. So let's ask the question, how Are we going to rule the world? Okay. Well, most important thing now is to build the character. Now, we'll go ahead and take a short break, and we'll come back, see you in 20, and then we will ask the question, what about all the events leading up to the resurrection and the sea of glass? Greetings, brethren, welcome back to Sabbath services. Now we have seen how God is going to give the saints under Jesus Christ the kingdom. Now, how's that going to work out? How does that tie in with the resurrection? And what's going to happen on the sea of glass? Now, last week, Nolan Joseph gave a very good presentation on the sea of glass. Okay? So, I'm going to add to it. Now, in order to bring us up to where we need to be, let's come to Matthew 24. Now, as we're turning to Matthew 24, we have to have this background of what we already know. We know that the last seven years is divided into two, three-and-a-half-year periods. And in the middle of the week, that's when the abomination of desolation, spoken of by Daniel the prophet, will be standing in the holy place because the Jews will build a temple. And he will go in there. And that's the king of the north who comes down against the king of the south and then goes into the Holy Land, goes into the temple, and says he's God. Okay? That's the beginning of the last three and a half years. We find from the book of Hosea, the last couple of verses in chapter 5 and the beginning of chapter 6, that the great tribulation against Israel lasts for two years. Now, so first of all, we need to understand when that happens. Okay? So let's read it here beginning in Matthew 24. Okay? Verse 27. Now, he gave a warning. There are going to be a lot of people saying, oh, here's Christ, there's Christ everywhere. We've covered that. Verse 27. For as the light of day which comes forth from the east and shines as far as the west. Now, what is that? That's the sun, right? Or that is a sun, because it is like, okay, and it shines from east to west. Showing that it will be, the sign will be in the sky and everyone's going to see it. Okay? Now then, hold your place here and we will come to Malachi, the fourth chapter. Now we covered this before, but some people still have questions concerning it, so let's come to Malachi the fourth chapter, and let's see a prophecy of this. Because the sign of the Son of Man is what? Something that shines from east to west. Now, here it explains it. Verse 1, Malachi 4. So we will see where this will take place in Revelation. And then develop it from there. For behold, the day is coming, burning like a consuming oven, and all the proud and every doer of wickedness shall be stubble. And the day that comes shall burn them up, says the Lord of hosts. Now, this talks about the destruction of the wicked when Jesus returns to the earth, and it also combines with the later lake of fire. For those who don't repent, okay? And will leave them neither root nor branch, but unto those who fear my name. Who are those? The saints of Daniel 7. The saints of the New Testament. The brothers and sisters of Jesus Christ. All describing what God is doing with the saints. Okay? The Son of Righteousness shall arise. Isn't that what it's talking about in Matthew 24? The sign of the Son of Man shall appear. How is that going to be? It's going to be like a sun. Now you look at this, and we're told in the Scriptures that we are not to have any sun worship, right? Okay? So this has nothing to do with the pagan worship of the sun. But that's exactly what the world has today. Sunday worship and Baal worship in all the religions of the world to this day. That's why in the book of Revelation, The whole system is called Babylon the Great. All right? The Son of Righteousness shall arise, and healing will be in his wings, and that's the salvation of the world. And you shall go out and grow up like calves in a stall, and so forth. Okay? Okay? Let's read verse 3, and you shall trample the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in the day that I am preparing, says the Lord of hosts. Then it says, verse 4, remember the law of Moses. (laughs) I wonder how the Protestants who believe in prophecy get away with that one. Okay, all right. Now, let's see where the sign of the Son of Man appears in the book of Revelation. And it's going to be distinct. And let's also see something very important, that through all of these things, and all the trials and difficulties that are coming on the world, and all of the plagues and things that are taking place, what is God interested in most for people? Huh? What is he interested in? Is he interested in just... Killing them for the sake of killing them? Well, there are going to be a lot who will be killed, but is that what God desires? Okay. Let's see, in spite of all the things that are taking place at the end time, what God really wants from human beings. Okay. So let's come to Revelation 6. Now, we won't go through all of these seals that are open, but understand this. Only Christ can open the seals. Meaning that nothing is going to happen on this earth concerning all the events leading up to the return of Christ that are not initiated from heaven, from the throne of God. Okay? So let's read at verse 12. Now, verse 12 ties in with the end of the two years of tribulation against Israel. Now, question, of the three and a half years of tribulation, how much time is left? A year and a half, right? Okay. So here's what it is right here. Verse 12, And when he opened the sixth seal, I look, and behold, there was a great earthquake, now, we're going to have earthquakes and upheavals and things like this, that the earth is and the land mass is not going to be hardly recognizable by the time that we take over the kingdom. Okay? And the sun became black as a hair of sackcloth, and the moon became as blood, and the stars fell to the earth as a fig tree shakes its untimely figs when it's shaken by a mighty wind. Okay? Then the heavens departed like a scroll. Okay, The heavens. This is a gigantic event. And this is the sign of the Son of Man. And when the heavens roll back again like this, There's going to be great earthquakes and everything's going to be taking place because God says that he's going to shake the heavens, he's going to shake the earth. And this is just the beginning of it. Okay. But what's going to happen when that takes place? Well, we'll look at it. There are two things that will develop out of this. We will see. Notice verse 15. And the kings of the earth and the great men, the rich men, the chief captains, the powerful men, and every bondman, every free man, hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains. That's because there's utter destruction. And it shows that this is going to come on everyone in the world. This is God's notice that Christ is coming but not to the earth immediately. Because there are other things that have to happen. So, let's read it. Verse 16. And he said to the mountains under the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath has come. Who has the power for? to stand. Now, that's quite a statement, isn't it? Now, picture, we're on the earth, we look up, here's the sign of the Son of Man, and it looks like another sun. So we have the regular sun, and we have this sign of the Son of Man up there. Okay? Now, what's going to happen when that takes place? First, they're going to think it's the return of Christ which is, it is initiating the beginning of the return of Christ. Not his actual return, because that takes place later. Okay? Now then, what is Satan going to do? What is he going to do? He's going to tell everybody that this is an invasion from outer space. Are we all being prepared for that now, mentally? Isn't that what everybody talks about? Aliens? All right. Now then, look at chapter 7, because here's what happens. Now, when this happens, let's just put a date on this as Pentecost. Boom. Because every Pentecost is God's entrance into the world, correct? Ten commandments back in Exodus 20. Pentecost, boom. Acts the second chapter, the giving of the Holy Spirit, boom. Rather than God speaking personally to them, he spoke to that great crowd in all of their languages so they could hear the words of God spoken by the apostles. So that was a great event. Now here is another event of God's direct intervention in the world with the sign of the Son of Man, like a great sun up there in the heavens. Okay? Now then, what follows immediately after that? Revelation 7. Okay? So what do we have? The repentance and sealing of the 144,000, right? And a great innumerable multitude, okay? They will be sealed with the Holy Spirit by an angel sent to seal them with the Spirit, so they will be converted for one whole year until the next Pentecost when the resurrection takes place, okay? Now then, if you want a parable, this is the parable of the vineyard, where the owner of the vineyard hired the people in the morning, and then later in the day, later in the afternoon, and then at the last hour, he hired them. And remember what happened when it came time to be paid paid the last first and gave them a silver coin, the same as those who started a little after sunrise to work in the uh, vineyard and work all day. Okay, So that coin is likened unto eternal life. So these will be in the kingdom of God, but they're not going to get there until the resurrection takes place. Okay? Now, the last part of chapter 7 shows they're going to be around the throne of God. But it doesn't mean they're immediately converted, taken up to the throne of God, because no one goes to the throne of God until God brings the throne down here, close to the earth, as we will see. Okay? Now then, let's talk a little bit about the resurrection. Chapter 8, we have the beginning of the seven trumpet plagues, okay? We have all seven trumpets, and this is the only place in the Bible where you have the first and the last trumpet, right? Now, ask this question, okay? Those who believe that were resurrected on the Feast of Trumpets, All right? Since trumpets are to be blown all day long, when will the last trumpet be sounded on that all day long blowing of the trumpets? And how many trumpets will have been blowing all during that time? See, because trumpets is not the day of resurrection, trumpets is the day of war against this world with Christ and the saints. See? But, the first resurrection is so important that it takes place on Pentecost before we return to the earth on trumpets. Period of four and a half months. Now, let's come to chapter... Eleven. Now, this takes place on the last Pentecost, involving all the things concerning Christ's return and the resurrection. Remember, the resurrection does not take place until the last trump. We'll read that in just a minute. Now, we'll read it here in Revelation 11. Okay. Verse 14. The end of the second woe, the two witnesses are raised. They're the first resurrected. Now notice verse 15. Then the seventh angel sounded his trumpet. Of seven trumpets, this is the last. Right? Yes. Now let's read what happens. And there were great voices in heaven saying... The kingdoms of the world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign into the ages of eternity. That's the beginning of the power of God to control the world. But what is necessary to go along with this? Is Christ going to rule the world by himself? No. We're the ones who have been called to what? To inherit the kingdom. All right? Now, let's see how this is going to work. Okay? Let's look at 1 Thessalonians, the fourth chapter. We'll talk a little bit about the resurrection and some of the other things that, that have to do with the resurrection. So let's pick it up here in verse 13. Now, this is a perfect example in the Bible where it shows us the way that God puts puts things into the Bible in Isaiah 28, here a little, there a little, so forth. Now, those of us who put it together properly based upon the Sabbath and holy days of God, and if you don't have that big thick book that we have, God's plan for mankind revealed by his Sabbath and holy days. You get it. That will be one of the most important books that you will have. And we have the CDs to go along with it. And this will cover everything in Daniel, everything in Revelation, everything we're talking about here. Okay? Now, 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 13. But I do not wish you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, that you be not grieved, even as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, in exactly the same way also, those who have fallen asleep in Jesus will God bring with him. Now, how is God going to bring them with him? They must first be resurrected. Right? So he explains it. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain. So what was happening then? They were believing that Christ going to return in their lifetime. Now think about this as another disappointment down the road. In 70 AD, when Jerusalem was destroyed and Jesus didn't return, Think of how many people turned back and quit following Christ at that time because they thought with the destruction of Jerusalem, Christ was going to return, but he didn't. Those who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord shall in no wise precede those who have fallen asleep, because the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout of command and a voice of the an archangel and the trumpet of God, Now that's the seventh Trump. How do we know that is? Because of what it says, and the dead in Christ shall rise first, right? Okay? Then we who are alive and remain, shall be caught up together with them in the clouds for the meeting with the Lord in the air, and so shall we always be with the Lord. Okay? Now come to Matthew 24. Let's see what happens after the sign of the Son of Man. Now remember, the time frame is not given in the book of Matthew. The time frame is given in the book of Revelation. Matthew 24, it talks about the sign of the Son of Man, okay, verse 30, it says, in the clouds, he's going to be coming, and he shall send his angels, verse 31, Matthew 24, and he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, the last trumpet, now remember this. On Pentecost, there was always the trumpet blown. And that's what Paul wrote about in Hebrews, the 12th chapter, about those who were around Mount Sinai. The blowing of the trumpet, the wind, and the sound, and the noise, and the power of God. Okay? So likewise... When the apostles began speaking there in Acts, the second chapter, the trumpet was pr- probably blown and then they started speaking. Okay. Now then, for the resurrection, there's going to be the seventh trump, as we just saw in 1 Thessalonians, the fourth chapter. Okay. Sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. So, the resurrection takes place, and then we're going to meet Christ in the air. Where are we going to meet him in the air? Okay? The angels are going to take us up there, right? All right, now let's see another description of this back in Revelation 14. And then we will see about the Sea of Glass and what's going to happen on the Sea of Glass. Now, think of this. Here you were. I don't care who you were. I don't care what time you died. I don't care where you were buried, but you're going to be raised. Okay? Think of this. Just as it says there, the angels are going to gather them and bring them up to Christ. Okay? How many different languages down through time did all of these people speak? And how are we going to communicate? Okay? That's another question. Okay? The answer will be simple. We will be born again at the resurrection, and we will be given at that time in our minds the very language that God wants us to speak when we are spirit beings in exactly the same way that he gave Adam and Eve language in their minds when he created them. And we, those who are the saints of God, will be the great creation of God. Okay? Now let's pick it up here. Revelation 14 and verse 14. And I looked and behold, a white cloud and one like the son of man sitting on the cloud, having a golden crown on his head and in his hand was a sharp sickle showing that the resurrection is likened to a harvest as we covered on day 49 in Matthew, the 13th chapter. Okay. And another angel came out of the temple crying with a loud voice to him who was sitting on the cloud, thrust in your sickle and reap because the time has come for you to reap for the harvest of the earth is ripe. And he was sitting on the cloud. Where's the cloud? In the atmosphere, huh? Right? Right? Are there clouds out in space, way out in space? No. They're here close to the earth. So all of this is going to take place within the atmosphere of the earth. Okay. Sitting on a cloud, thrust forth his sickle upon the earth, and the earth was reaped. Okay. That's the first resurrection. The angels are going to carry this up to meet Christ in the air. Where? Where are they all going to go? Okay? Now, it's not like those who believe in a trumpet's resurrection were resurrected, we meet Christ in the air, and he says, hello, follow me. And you say, Lord, what will I do? Don't worry about it, you just follow me. Okay? That's not how God's going to take over the world. And the world has been given to the saints. That's us. Okay, so let's read it. Chapter 15. Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and awesome, seven angels having the seven last plagues, for in them the wrath of God is filled up. So what happens? All of those in the first resurrection will see the seven last plagues poured out, which is the vengeance of God. Now, how many saints have lived and died, been martyred, and never saw the vengeance of God, but God told them, in his word, you shall see the vengeance of God? Well, that won't happen until after the first resurrection. All right? Now then. Verse 2, And I saw a sea of glass mingled with fire, and those who had gotten victory over the beast, over his image, over his mark, and over his number, uh, of his name, standing on the sea of glass, having the liars of God. Standing on the sea of glass. Okay? Now we saw that in Exodus 24. When God revealed himself to Moses and the 70 of the of the elders of Israel... There was a sea of glass. They could look through and see a form of God. And that's what Ezekiel saw when he saw God. So when we're resurrected, now think of how many they are going to be resurrected. Millions. Why? How are they going to be organized? How are we going to communicate? What's going to happen? will be on the sea of glass. Now, it tells us about singing the song of Moses and the song of the Lamb. Okay. Now then, so let's ask the question, what's going to happen on the sea of glass? Okay. What's the first thing that's going to occur? All right. What happens when you're born, what happens when you're born as a baby? Or your children are born? What do you do? You give them a name, right? So what's the first thing to happen so that we know who we are? Number one, the saints will receive their new name. Now, there are two places in Revelation 2 and verse 17, and also Revelation 3 about the name of God the Father, the name of Jesus Christ, and a new name. So you're born again. The first thing you have to have is, who am I? (laughs) Okay. Well, you're born again from the dead. And now you're a spirit being, and you need a new name. Isn't that what Jesus said? I'll write upon you my new name, the name of the Father, and the name of the city of New Jerusalem, and your new name? Okay? So we have to have that. Okay? What's going to happen then? What's going to happen after that? All right? Number two. All right? The saints will be given their reward. So you look up all do a study on rewards. And Jesus said, Don't lose your reward. Okay? So we will all get a reward. Remember, we're not rewarded in this life, but at the resurrection. So we will receive our rewards. Number three. Okay? Very important. Number three. Jesus Christ is going to present us then to the Father. Now imagine this, the great sea of glass. All the resurrected saints, all of the patriarch, all of the apostles, all of those great and small down through the whole history of the church, we're all standing there. okay? We're all clothed with our new garments. Christ is there directing all of this. And then, God the Father comes down close to the sea of glass, and so let's see what number three will be, will be Jesus presenting us to the Father. Come to Hebrews, the second chapter, okay? Hebrews, the second chapter. This is tremendous. I mean, you know, what's going to happen up there on the sea of glass? And it's going to take the time from the Pentecost of the resurrection until trumpets. For us to be up there to learn all we need to learn. And we'll see the other events that will take place. Okay? So, Hebrews, the second chapter. And let's see, and just put in your notes there, Psalm 22, Verse 22, okay? So let's read it here. All right, verse 6. Now, how far far back does this go? How many times have different ones who have known God have wondered, what is man? Why are we here? Where are we going? What is God going to do? We're made in his image and his likeness. So it says here in verse six, but in a certain place, one fully testifies what is man that you, God, are mindful of him or the son of man that you visit him. Or we can say that you give him your spirit, that you give him your laws. Okay, you have made him a little lower than the angels. You did crown him with glory and honor and did set him over the works of your hand. That's what God said when he created Adam and Eve, right? He said, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and have dominion over the earth and over everything on the earth. Right? There it is right there. You did put all things in subjection under his feet, that is, on the earth, for in subjecting all things to him you left nothing that was not subjected to him. But now... We do not yet see all things subjected to him. Why? Because we haven't yet received the kingdom. Okay? So here's the way that the Bible works, see? It brings you up to a certain point, and then you need to add other scriptures in to find out what's going on. Okay? But we see Jesus. Now think of this, because Psalm 22, verse 22 He speaks about presenting all the children to God. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, crowned with glory and honor on account of suffering, the death. Now that's what it is in the Greek. The death. The one and only death that can pay for the sins of mankind. Okay? Suffering the death in order that by the grace of God he himself might taste death for everyone. Now think about that for a minute, how important that is. See? Because it's fitting for him for whom all things were created and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons unto glory. That's the resurrection. See? to make the author of their salvation perfect through suffering. Okay? For both he who is sanctifying and those who are sanctified are all of one. That is, at the resurrection, correct? We will be like him. It says there in Philippians that he's going to transform our bodies to be made like his glorious body. And in 1 John the 3rd chapter it tells us that we will see him exactly as he is. Now think about what that's going to be. Here we're all on the sea of glass. We received our new names. We received our reward. God the Father comes down close enough to it so we can see God the Father sitting on his throne probably some way away. So he says, For which cause he's not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will declare your name to my brethren. In the midst of the church, I will sing praises to you. What church is that? That's the church of the firstborn. Who are the firstborn? Those who are in the first resurrection. Okay. And again, I am trusting him. And again, Behold, I and the children whom God has given me. Okay? So he's going to say, Father, here are all the children you have given me. And he'll look down on the sea of glass and see this great multitude of all of those in the first resurrection, all clothed with the righteous garments, all with their new name, All having received their rewards and now presented to God the Father. That's number three. After that, number four. All the saints will receive their assignments. What are you going to do? See? How are you going to do it? You know how to run a city? No. No. But you will be given the instructions on how to do it after you're a spirit being. How about those who do administrating? How about those who do teaching? See, because it says there in Revelation 20 that blessed and holy is everyone who has part in the first resurrection, and they shall be kings and priests and reign with Christ a thousand years, correct? We have to know what we're going to do, okay? So that's number four. We will receive our instructions. Okay? Number five. Now, here's what takes place. The marriage of the Lamb and the church. How that's going to be, who all is going to participate in it, we don't know. We have a parable of it in Matthew, the 22nd chapter, that we have to have the proper garments in order to be there at the at the wedding okay okay then the wedding's going to take place okay now what happens after the wedding takes place we don't know what kind of ceremony that's going to be and it's probably going to be a tremendous and spectacular ceremony, and it's probably going to be that all of us in the first resurrection on the sea of glass, that we're all going to get on our knees, and we're all going to take the marriage oath between Christ and all the resurrected saints, and we'll be on our knees, and that will be read to us in our new language. And when that is done, then we will all say, Amen. And when the marriage takes place, what is the final salutation of that? Let's come to Revelation 19, let's look at it. And the whole earth is going to hear this. And it's going to be quite a thing. All the saints on the sea of glass... And the world down there getting ready for the seven last plagues, getting all the armies ready to come and fight against the sea of glass up in the air, and they're going to get their weapons and their nukes and their and and their planes and everything that they have to come and try and destroy this invasion from outer space. All right, Revelation 19. Okay. So let's pick it up here in verse 1. And after these things, I heard a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven. Now that's us. Great multitude. That's why the sea of glass. We've got to be there to be organized. We've got to be there to know what we're going to do. We have to be there to rejoice in the marriage of the Lamb, to rejoice in the wedding supper, okay? And that comes out this way. Hallelujah! The salvation and the glory and the honor and the power belong to the Lord our God. Okay? So there we are. And then, this is probably part of the hymn that we will sing, For true and righteous are his judgments, for he has judged the great whore, who corrupted the earth with her fornication. And he has avenged the blood of his servants at her hand. Everyone's going to see the vengeance of God. And he said a second time, Hallelujah! And her smoke shall descend upward into the ages of eternity. And the twenty-four elders and the four living creatures fell down and worship God who sits on the throne saying, Amen, Hallelujah. So, we'll see the throne of God, we'll see the 24 elders, and we will all say, Amen, all together. Okay? Think of what a great thing that is going to be. All of us at the same time saying, Amen, Hallelujah, Lord God Almighty. Okay? That's going to be something. Okay? And a voice came forth from the throne, saying, Praise our God, all his servants, and all who fear him, both small and great. And I heard a voice like that of a great multitude, like the sound of many waters, the sound of mighty thundering, saying, all of this going on to see a glass, and it's going to be heard on earth. And all these people on the earth coming to fight against Christ are going to hear it. And here it is again, hallelujah, for the Lord God Almighty has reigned. He started the reign of the kingdom of God with the resurrected saints, all standing on the sea of glass to be educated in what we're going to do. Okay? Then we have the marriage supper, number six. I wonder what spiritual food tastes like. Remember what Jesus said about wine the last Passover? He said he won't take it until the kingdom of God. Okay. What's it going to be like to have spiritual food? I don't know. What's it going to be like to have spiritual wine? Okay. The marriage supper will take place. Okay. Number seven. Here's what's important. Number seven. The saints will witness the seven last plagues poured out the vengeance of God. Now, that's important because that comes in Revelation 16. Number eight, we will be gathered into God's army. Now, if you're in an army, you know who you are. You know what you're going to do. You know what everything is going to be, right? Are you going to be a mob who would just raise from the dead? You don't even know what language you're going to speak. And you say, howdy, Lord. And he says, follow me. And you say, where are you going, Lord? Well, I'm going back to the earth. What do I do? (laughs) See, going to be all instructed. You're going to have your assignments. You're going to know what you're going to do. You're going to know the power that you're going to have. See? So number eight, they will be gathered into God's army and will fight with Christ, and they will return to the earth with Jesus to establish the kingdom and government of God on the earth. Okay? So we read that, continuing on, in Revelation 19, which brings us then to the Feast of Trumpets. Which then tells us this, we are all on the sea of glass from Pentecost resurrection until trumpets. And that four months is all necessary time so we can know who we are, where we're going, what our assignment is, what God wants us to do, because we're coming back to the earth that is in a terrible condition, because of war, and fighting, and the seven last plagues. Okay? Let's pick it up in verse 11. And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it, who is called faithful and true, and in righteousness does he judge and make war. And his eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no one knows except him, and he was clothed with a garment dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. Now, and the armies in heaven were following him, were on white horses, Now, if you've never ridden a horse, what are you going to do? You've got to be taught what this is, see? What does a spiritual horse look like? (laughs) Are they going to be equipped with saddles? How do we direct them? See, we'll read it here, okay? His armies in heaven were following him on white horses, and they were clothed with fine linen, white and pure, and out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, and with it he might smite the nations. All God has to do is say the word, and it takes place. And he shall shepherd them with a rod of iron, and treads the winepress of the fury and wrath of the Almighty God. Now, I'll leave it there. So we can pick it up on the Feast of Trumpets, because this is part of the Feast of Trumpets, and I don't want to get ahead of time. But these are the things that we're going to do on the Sea of Glass, and that's going to be a tremendous thing. Now, you go back and think about what happened on Pentecost. Ten Commandments, Holy Spirit, Resurrection, learning everything we need to learn and and prepare to take over the world. We must be educated to do that. We must know what God's plan is. We must know what powers we have to help the people and to help them recover from the worst devastation that's coming upon the whole world. So this is why we're resurrected to a sea of glass and why we're on the sea of glass and what we do there and why we are there for four and a half months from Pentecost until trumpets. So I hope this helps everyone understand what a time that's going to be. That will be the best four and a half months we will ever experience, and then come back with Christ to bring the kingdom which God has given to Christ and the saints. Amen.